morning, church. Do me a favor, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, look off one next to you or raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. And in your Bibles, we'll have you uh, turn to the book of Psalm chapter 47, just as a little opener, Psalm 47. As you're turning there, just want to mention again here that we are wrapping up a three-week or three-part, I don't know however you want to call it, series, um, dealing with the topic of worry and fear. And again, considering the times that we're in right now, seems to be some unrest and some anxious moments. And those times when storms come along, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, and we're sort of wondering, God, are you here? God, what's going on? I'm a little anxious right now. Things are swelling up inside me. How do I handle all this? And so as we're looking into God's Word, we're seeking truth. We're seeking wisdom in how to live courageously. Church, think about this. If you are at work, you have a game plan for how you're going to accomplish work for the day. If you're part of a sport, you have a game plan for how you're going to compete. Even if you're getting married, you have a game plan for how the ceremony is going to play out. There's, there's always a plan. So church, why do we not have a plan when it comes to handling today's uneasiness and anxious moments? There should be a plan. There should be a, a place for us to go to and say, this is the advice I need. This is the direction I need to take. And so throughout history, God would always speak to his people, always speak to his people. You look through history and say, when did he not speak? He was always speaking to his people. And one of my favorites was when he verbally spoke to Joshua. And in Joshua 1.9, he said this, This is my command. Not a suggestion. Not a, hey, you know what you ought to think? You ought to consider? It's command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Time after time after time. God spoke to his people and said, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And men and women needed to hear those words then. And today we need to hear those same words, that same command. Be strong and courageous. But that's easier said than done, right? I could stand up here and repeat, be strong and courageous for the next 30 minutes. You'd probably get tired of hearing it after a while, and you wonder, okay, thanks for saying it over and over and over. Now, it's ingrained in my mind. How do I do that? The American Psychological Association says that this election is a major life stressor for 52% of America. Think about this. One out of two people is really stressed right now and anxious right now about the election. And they've identified what they're calling this as political anxiety disorder, PAD. They've got a name for it. And they're providing coping means for all of us that are struggling with it. So I don't know if you want to Google on there, PAD, political anxiety disorder, and how do I cope with all this? Uh, I'm going to ask you this. Don't. I'm going to give you the answers this morning how to cope with that, okay? Because I understand it's been an ugly campaign season with a lot of surprises, and yes, Both candidates need help. And people have said, Rex, you haven't endorsed or said anything about the election or candidates or anything. Because you need to understand, as a pastor, I can't. 
as a director of a nonprofit organization, I can't. Because once I do, I lose all nonprofit status and I get in trouble with the law and so forth and so on. So pastors are not supposed to be doing that. Um, if you want to talk to me privately, I feel free. I just can't from the pulpit or anywhere else proclaim that. But what I do know is both candidates need God's help. Okay? I think we can all understand that. This is a critical election. There's a lot at stake. And no question about it, what we do as Christians matter. Let me begin with saying this. We need to pray. You've probably heard, I know, there's, there's blogs and posts and all kinds of stuff, how to be involved with this the tough decision ahead of us. Pray, pray, pray. We can say at this time in history, it's like the storms in our life, they shake us and maybe they, they cause us to ask, God, do you care? Remember the story we've, we've had the last two weeks from the book of Mark and Matthew about Jesus in the boat with his disciples. And when the storm came, the question they posed to Jesus Christ was, what? Do you care? The answer is yes, God cares. And we need to hear that now. We're, we are stressed by the storms of life. We need to anchor onto something firm. We need to anchor into something solid. And our anchor right now is the foundational truth that God does care. Our anchor needs to be solid and firm and tight on the truth that not only does God care, He brings peace in the storm. So for those of us that are right now in this room, one out of two, okay, and maybe because you are such godly people, it's maybe zero out of two, I don't know. But if you are, have that little PAD going on, and let's get those initials right. Political anxiety disorder, not PDA, public display of affection. Some of you might have that problem too, I don't know, Okay. But if you have that little PAD going on or any other anxiety, remember, we find our help. We find our hope. We find our help. We find our hope. We find our help. We find our hope in Jesus Christ. We find it. We anchor it into God's holy word. And the Bible tells us ultimately that God reigns over all nations. God sits on his holy throne. So if you look with me in Psalm 47... This psalm, in, the, in those verses, starting in verse 6, says this. Sing praise to God. Sing praises. Sing praise to our King. Sing praises. Did we not just do that? I hope and pray we were singing. Verse 7. For God is the King over all the earth. Praise Him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on His holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together. They joined us in praising the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He's highly honored everywhere. Did everybody hear that last verse? Let me read it again, just in case something happened and you lost track. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. Go ahead and name any political leader you want from any country, any nation. Name them. They belong to God. And all the kings of the earth belong to God. Our God, the God we worship, when we come here every Sunday morning to worship and sing songs to, He reigns. He reigns over all. We are days away from a national, historical moment in the United States of America. And we ask, how should we pray? Church, we pray for God to give us a president, a vice president, and other leaders in this country who will acknowledge God and look to Him for direction. That's how we got to pray right now. 
We pray for those that are going to be elected that they will seek God with everything they have. No matter who's in the Oval Office, God is still on the throne. No matter who is in the Oval Office, God is still on the throne. So take that P-A-D, toss it. Because our God is still on the throne. My hope is in God, not man. He's what our country needs. Our country needs God more than anything. King David said, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Where is your hope, church? Is your hope this morning? Well, I hope when that election and those ballots are cast, I hope that, where's your hope? Is your hope in the Lord? You know, as Christians, this is our time to be united under one king, our God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, we're different than everybody else. We are. We celebrate differently, don't we? We serve differently. We work differently. Colossians 3.23 says what? And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We serve. We work differently. We mourn differently. We cry differently than the rest of this world. Because we know when we have a loved one who passes away, we know they're in the presence of God. So we mourn differently than the rest of the world does. We make decisions differently. We give differently. We open up our wallets and our purses and our checkbooks, and we give different than the rest of the world gives. People look at us like, what are you giving to the church for? Why are you giving to that mission for? Why are you helping that missionary? Why are you buying things and putting in a shoebox and giving to a kid? We give differently than the rest of the world. And when God brought the people out of Egypt, he gave them what? Ten commandments, right? So they could what? Live differently. You know what some people would say? Well, you Christians, you're just weak. All you do is talk about praying for the election, right? And hoping that God shows up. Here's my word to that. My God is real. My God is alive. I will pray to my God. Because history proves that God reigns and that God rules. And in spite of whatever you believe in God or not, my God lives. My God reigns. And you can look back at history. You cannot discount what God has done. You can, the revelation of what God has done, his appearances and his actions, he is alive. He is real. So as a Christian, am I weak by just saying, I'm just going to pray? No, I'm strong. I'm being strong and courageous, and I'm going to the God who sits on the throne and is able to take care of anything that we need. He knows what's going on. He's not surprised by anything right now. No matter what weaky leak email pops up or what next thing you hear in the news tomorrow about whatever candidate, oh, did you hear? Do you think this surprises God? No. If you think it surprised God, you've put God in a box, and you've limited who God is. Are we viewing these days, these times, vertically or horizontally? Think about that. Are we viewing the world and the coming election through the eyes of God or man? How are we viewing this? What if God, just think about this, what if God allows someone to be elected who takes us down the wrong road and the wrong direction? What if this is all part of divine plan to awaken us and bring us to our knees. What if? Think about this. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning, do you curse the alarm, hit the snooze button, and close your eyes and just roll back over? 
Or when the alarm goes off, do you pull back the covers, put your feet on the ground, and start the day? What if this election is like a spiritual alarm clock going off right now? And God's telling us, you better get up and wake up and start seeking me today. What if God is saying, you've slept long enough. It's time to become who I've asked you to become as a child of God. What if? Tell me, church, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks from now. But tell me, what's more important than saving souls from hell? What's more important than saving souls from hell? Is your job more important? Finishing first place, is that more important? How about your gadgets? How about you? An alarm clock has gone off and suddenly we are now talking about issues we've not talked about in a while. We're talking about racial tension. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about things that we've quietly slept or swept underneath the rug and have not spoken about. Now it's out there and people are talking about it like we've never talked about it before. And it's allowing us as Christians to talk in a godly way and say this is what the God of the universe says about abortion. This is what the God of the universe says about racial tension. This is what the God of the universe says about forgiveness and love. And we as Christians have that opportunity. And if we're not at peace, we need to drop to our knees and ask God, God, how do I respond to all this? Prayer is needed. Go ahead and unplug from social media, turn off the news. We're not the surrogate representative for these politicians. Do we really think sometimes that, well, what... What I think right now, my opinion, can sway more than what God can do. God will do what he will do. And what if God is just giving us what we asked for? Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. So if you're in Psalm, you're going to go towards the beginning of the Bible to a book called 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel... I'm going to look at a situation here where sometimes we get a little confused the way we're supposed to live as mankind. From the time that Joshua died, from the time that God said, be strong and courageous, this is the command I'm giving you. So let's think about that time with Joshua. We fast forward hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to when Saul became king of Israel. Up to that point in time, the Hebrew government was a theocracy, meaning God ruled. Okay, there was no democracy. We didn't even know what that was back then. And there was no monarchy. There was no one person ruling the Hebrew nation. It was a theocracy. It was God in charge. God ruled Israel, not man. So there were judges. There were prophets who helped make decisions. They decided civil cases. They enforced God's law. That's why Israel was so different than other nations. That's why they stood out from everybody else. Because they were a theocracy. But then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Look what it says in verse 1. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father. They were greedy for money. They accepted bribes. They perverted justice. Finally, the leaders of Israel met Ramal to discuss the matter of Samuel. Look, they told him, you're old now, your sons are not like you. Give us a king like all the other nations have. Give us a king like everybody else. The people no longer wanted God's direction and order. 
They wanted an earthly king. They wanted somebody to step up in front of them that they could touch, see, feel, and say, you're the one in charge. They felt that Samuel was too old, no longer able to keep pace with the demands. They felt his sons were disqualified. Look at the, look at the lifestyle they're living. And they also said, we want to be like everybody else. Church, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're set apart, we're different. And the moment we say we want to be like everybody else, we're going to set ourselves up for trouble. That's what happens here. God called them to be different. God called them to be holy, chosen, elected. Wait, wait, elected? As we hear that term used so often today. Yes, voted in by God, right? Chosen by God. If you remember back in Romans chapter 8 when we went through that, Pastor Lane and I, as we sort of uh, tag-teamed through that, you probably remember maybe talk about being elected and chosen. Let me give you a couple more verses. First Peter 2.9. Let me read this verse to you. But you're not like that. You are a chosen people. Look at the person next to you and say, you're chosen. Go for it. You're chosen. It's nice for somebody to look at you and say, you're chosen. Do it differently this time. Look at them and say, I choose you. Go for it. Okay, and some of you need to look the opposite way because there's like three of you sitting there. Somebody just got excluded. So we can't have that because you're all chosen. So make sure that, you know, everybody got, everybody get it? Okay. Doesn't it feel good to somebody I say, I choose you? Doesn't that feel good? Guys, I remember, I mean, growing up, I didn't, I was always the last one chosen. Because remember, when you're five foot nothing and a, and a lot of something, um, like in dodgeball, you don't get chosen till the end. And so you're never picked, you're always picked last, you know? So it always felt good, you know, as you get older, somebody's like, I want you on my team. Me? I never get picked. It feels good. Does it feel good? Somebody say, I choose you. That's what God says. Listen to this verse again. You're not like that. You are a chosen people. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he, Listen, he called you out of darkness and into light. The word chosen here, the one that we hear, the one I just read to you, is translated in Greek. It also means elected. Now, you break down the Greek word into two parts. The first part, act, is out. And the second part is, I say. Out, I say, is what God is saying. Out, I say, meaning I'm calling you out of where you're at right now to be chosen to be with me. That's the word that's being used here. God says, I've elected, I've chosen you of all people to be not like everyone else. I'm calling you out. Quit being like everybody else at school. Quit being like everybody else at work. Quit doing what all the other churches and businesses are doing. I'm calling you to be this way. No surprise. It's no surprise. Let me read another verse to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And in this, you hear the same thing. Ephesians 1, 4 says this. Long ago, even before God made the world, God loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in His eyes. Did you hear that verse? Let me read it again. Long ago... Before he made the world, before he formed the earth, before he did water and light and darkness and vegetation and man, before the earth was formed, God loved us. He chose us. He elected us. He out, I say, in Christ to be holy. Okay, so here's the thing. I've got four brothers and one sister. I'm the youngest of six kids. Two years, two years, two years, three years, two years, two years, and then there's 
my last brother Mark, and then there are four, five, something, Rex. Oh, okay. Some of us know that as an oops baby, okay? My oldest brother, who is, I don't know, 60, he's going to be 66 this year. He's my oldest brother, okay? Big gap between him and I. He's got a, oh, Jenny, help me. How old is Andrew? Nine. So for anybody in here that's 66 and has a nine-year-old, right now you're going, what? <laughs> Oops, right? Um, but here's the thing. We say that jokingly, but let me say, say something to you. There are no oops. There are no oops. Now, in our eyes, humanly speaking, we might say that, like, well, it wasn't planned. Let's put it that way. Did you hear God's word? Before this earth was formed, before this earth was created, God loved you. He chose you. He planned for you. Maybe your parents didn't plan for you. God did. God did. There's no mistakes. God planned. God elected. And he gave us purpose. That, that whole thing of giving purpose and being elected meant like this. In the military is where this word was also used. So if you're elected, you're called into mission. So if you're part of the, the army or the armed forces, I'm electing you. I'm choosing you. What does that mean? I've got a mission for you. You're being selected from everybody right now with a mission to do something. There's a privilege. Now, church, why am I using all these examples? Because I want you to understand, that's you. That's us. We are chosen. Israel was chosen. They were called out. But in spite of being chosen and being called to be different, they said, we want to not be different. We want to be like everybody else. We want an earthly ruler. Although they were called to be different, although we're called to be different, sometimes we slip back and we say, but I want to be like them. And so they asked for an earthly ruler. Samuel was upset with their requests. So he went to God for guidance. Look with me in verse 7 to 9. Verse 7, God says this back to Samuel, Do as they say, the Lord replied, for it's me they're rejecting, not you. They, they don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually forsaken me. They've followed other gods. Now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but warn them about how a king's going to treat them. The people were rejecting God's rule for what they thought was a better plan. They were nervous. They are scared. I don't know. But they thought, you know, we can handle this on our own. So if we elect a human king to rule us, it's got to be better than God. But as we read through history, we find that this does nothing but leads to problems and complications. Simple truth. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Simple truth. When we dethrone God, plans go down to chaos, disorder, pain. Fear, quick to follow. If you would read through the next eight verses, we read warnings that Saul gives to the people that an earthly king will take more than they give. Earthly kings are takers, not givers, says God. We're looking at that saying, yeah. History often reveals how earthly kingdoms are built by earthly kings. They support themselves. They tax and take from the people. God told us. This is the way it is. This warning is given by Samuel, like a parent talking to a teenager. People, if this is what you want, this is what you're going to get. 
Right, parents, have you ever said, listen, if you choose this, this is what's going to happen. Here's the consequence. And the kid's like, whatever, you know, and they want to go their own way. The children of Israel were doing that. Whatever, Samuel, we want to do our own thing. And they wanted to elect a king. Samuel made it clear, if you choose this path, understand where it leads. Nevertheless, they refused to listen to Samuel. To be like somebody else. To be like somebody else. To be something different than what God chose them and elected them and called them to be. Sometimes the Lord's got to let us have our way knowing it's going to hurt. Because He's good, because God is good, we know that if there were a better way to teach us, He would use it. Wouldn't He? If there's a better way, don't you think God would use it? Yeah. Sometimes He says, you know what? You're not going to get it. So I'm going to let you have it. Then you will see you were wrong. And I was right. Unfortunately, painful experience is usually the only way we learn sometimes. So who's going to be Israel's first king? Look at Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 9, and first couple of verses. Kish was a rich, influential man from the tribe of Benjamin, the son of Abiel, grandson of Zeror, the family of Bekarath, and the clan of Aphia. His son Saul, listen, was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the land. A oh, great candidate, right? This dude's handsome. I mean, why not? Son of a wealthy, influential, valiant, honorable warrior. Saul's a big man, striking, impressive. I mean, the good-looking guys get picked. The popular ones get picked again, right? Sometimes the kids in school are like, I never got to student council because the popular kids got chosen, right? I hear you. I hear you. Nothing has changed in time, has it? You know, we're still looking for the pretty and handsome and the popular and when choosing to lead. But as we read through chapters 9 and 10... We discover that Saul really actually was a pretty discreet man. He, he was interested in trusting God. He is a man with a generous spirit. He spoke for God. He was energized. He was inspired. Genuinely modest. Okay. Matter of fact, when Samuel brought all the tribes together to announce the elected king, this, this is who we're going to elect. You, you're choosing him now. Let's bring all the tribes together. And they sort of went through all the tribes. And they went to the next tribe. And they found the one tribe. Look at verse 20 and through 22. This is chapter 10. Samuel called the tribal leaders together with the Lord. And the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Yes, from the ben, Benjamin's tribe, his clan. Oh, they're getting excited. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord and the family of the Matrites were chosen. Oh, now we narrow it down to a family. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he disappeared. He's about ready to get coronated. He's about ready to be announced as the next earth, the first earthly king of the Hebrews. This is exciting. They couldn't find him. Saul pulls out a little game of hide and seek, stage fright, being modest, whatever you want to call it, nervous. He's hiding. Just side note, you can't play hide-and-seek with God. Just want to point that out to you all, okay? You always try to hide from God. He always finds you. Check out what happens in verse 22. So they asked the Lord, where is he? Here's another good thing. You need some help from the game of hide-and-seek. Go to God because he knows where everybody's at, right? Okay. God, where is Saul at? The Lord replied, He's hiding among the baggage. 
Don't you love this stuff in the Bible? This is great. God's like, he's hiding over there. All the, the baggage. All the bags over there. He's, he's right back there. Now, can you imagine Saul at this moment? I mean, there's a strikingly handsome man, popular, and he's going to be next, the next earthly king. And he's hiding. Right? They pull him out. They found him, brought him out. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. It says, Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel has his equal. And all the people shouted. And he cried out, long live the king. In that moment, there was great celebration, right? People are cheering for their new king. But I have to say this, I believe God's heart was breaking. Because as excited as the people were to say, we've got an earthly king, God's saying, I am your king. And you chose him. For the next few chapters of written records, we learn Saul's popularity was off the charts. But it didn't take long for him to fall from glory. He made bad choices. And the nation of Israel fell as well. In the end, man will fall. When we choose to put man before God, we discover that in the end, the equation always has a bad answer. We understand that we live in a nation that has an elected president for 241 years now. We're a young nation. 241 years of having an elected man lead our nation. Some good, some bad, most often uh, reputable and worthy of position, right? But let me ask you this. Can God work through those who serve in the office? Yeah, absolutely. Can God change those who are elected? Yes. And we won't look at it now, but in Daniel chapter 4, we read the story of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who heard of God, explained the danger of not giving God the glory, and he said, okay, I get it, I get it. But then it wasn't too long when he was on his palace top and all of a sudden he said, look at this, I did all of this. And God struck him with insanity. And he wandered in insanity for years until finally he came to his senses and proclaimed, God is in charge. And God gave him back his sanity and stood back on the throne and he proclaimed to everyone that God is the king. Can God work through an ungodly person? Yeah. Can he do that with those who are elected? Yeah. So what, what if we're getting what we've asked for as a nation? And I know you in this room have not asked for this. But what if our nation has been asking for this? Are we not getting what we've asked for? What if God doesn't change the heart of those in office? What if the next four years look bleak and distressing? What if? I'm going to say this, church, where's your anchor? Are you anchored firm in the truth that God loves you? Are you anchored firm in the truth that God does care? Are you anchored firm in the truth that God knows how to calm the storms in our life? Have you placed your faith in the king of this world? And set aside election. Just think about your normal, everyday problems and struggles and battles and temptations. Have you tried to be the ruler in your own life? Or have you allowed God to be the king of this world? Have you bowed on your knees to the king of this world? You know, I don't think I can find any source of truth that's going to make me feel good in the next week or two, or maybe in the next 24 hours, besides God's word. That's where I find my hope and my confidence. I place my hope, my help in the king of this world. And I think about this. We've read some Psalms this morning that came from David, who was a king, an earthly king. 
But before that, he was a shepherd. And he wrote an incredible psalm. The amazing thing is, we read this psalm, it seems like, only at funerals. This should be a psalm that's read on a daily, daily basis. Because David said this, The Lord is what? My shepherd. I shall not want. You can go ahead and take out shepherd and put in king, because that's who God is. For David, as he was a shepherd, watching these sheep, he goes, you know what? The Lord's my shepherd. He's my ruler. He's my king. I shall not be in want. When life is stressful and I don't know which direction to go, I go to my shepherd, right? Because he, what, takes me to the green meadows. He leads me beside the peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right path, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I'll not be afraid. For you're close beside me as my shepherd, as my king. Your rod and your staff protect me. They comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings because you are my shepherd. You are my king. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the King, the Lord, my shepherd, my God. When life is stressful and I don't know where to go, he's my shepherd, he's my king. When life is scary and I'm afraid, he's the one who protects and comforts me. He is my shepherd, he is my king. And when I feel like I don't have enough, he reminds me that he provides because he's my shepherd, he's my king. Church, is he your king? If he is your king, you have nothing to worry. You have nothing to fear. For he is on the throne over all this world. More importantly, in your life. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the king of this world, that you are there on a throne. And yet your spirit is here right now with us. And we can pray to you thanks to your spirit, thanks to the work that your son Jesus Christ did on the cross. To eliminate that distance, to eliminate that separation. And God, I know that when we place our faith in you, we confess with our mouths, we believe in our hearts that you are Lord and We've asked for forgiveness and we say, God, come into my life. Be the ruler, be the king of my heart. You send your spirit there to take residence. You forgive us. God, sometimes when we walk through the day, we first wake up, we hit that alarm. Lord, help us not to hit the snooze, but help us to throw our feet off the edge of that bed and to stand up and say, today's the day I'm going to stand for you because you are my shepherd, you are my king. Help us remember that you are on the throne and when life gets crazy and the the news is alarming and, and the rumors are spreading, help us remember you are the king. May that give us peace. May our anchors be strong and true that we've read this morning. And God, throughout this week, if we need to, let us open up Psalm 23 and read that over. Read that over. And the verses that were shared this morning, may we read those over and be reminded you are the ruler. You are the king. You are the God of this universe. May it give us peace. May it give us hope. May it give us strength. In times of storms. In times of panic. 
matter what comes our way, you are the king of this world. God, we love you. We sing to you now, Lord, praise that is due to you and to you only. In thy name we pray. Amen.